Thank you so much for joining us today and listening to a PCF podcast. We believe listening to the Word of God will change your life. God bless you as you continue listening to this podcast. Good morning, everybody. See you on the distance. My eyes are getting worse. Glasses now. Hearing aids at home. The world's greatest detective, the man who solved many amazing mysteries, the amazing Sherlock Holmes, and his faithful companion, Dr. Watson, were on a camping trip. After a good meal and a small bottle of wine, they went into their tents and they laid down for the night and went to sleep. Some hours later, Holmes awoke and nudged his faithful friend. Watson, he said, look up. Tell me, what do you see? Watson answered, well, he said, I see thousands of stars. And what does that tell you? Holmes inquired. Well, said Watson, pondering. Astronomically, it tells me that there are thousands of galaxies and potentially millions of planets. Astrologically, I observed from the position of the moon that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Meteorologically, I suspect that we'll have a beautiful day tomorrow. And theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and there is a great creator out there, a great creator that we can never, never comprehend because his ways are far past ours. For he created every star, hung it in the universe and called it by name. Watson then paused for a moment and then asked, looking up, Holmes, what does it mean to you? To me, Holmes said somberly, it means that someone's stolen our tent. (laughs) Today, I've called this message, our tent has been stolen. And it's a message about pressing in on Jesus with prayer and more prayer and more prayer and maybe a bit of fasting too. It's often been said that there are times when we can't see the wood for the trees. We spend so much time looking for the detail that we miss the simple picture. We miss the obvious. And I'm reminded this morning of those signs that you see occasionally in life which state the obvious. Watson, in our introduction, had missed the most obvious. He was clever enough to notice the complexities of the stars, but he missed what was plain and simple before his eyes. Someone had stolen the tent. And the funny thing is that we as people 
overlook the obvious so often in our lives too. It reminds me of the story of this man who calls 999 and says, help, my wife is in labor and about to give birth and I don't know what to do. The operator says, just stay calm. Is this her first child? No, he said, it's her husband. <laughs> so often we miss the point or overlook the basics. The more advanced we become in our experiences and our relationship with God, the easier it is to overlook the basics, the obvious, or miss, even miss the point. So today, I have come to tell you that if we, and that's the church here today, the body of believers, if we are seeing indifference in our lives, if we are seeing carnality in our lives, if we are seeing worldliness or disunity in our lives, it's not, to, it's not the time to go to another seminar or learn how to deal with it. It's not the time to go to the Christian psychologists. It's not the time to visit the pastor or the leadership, but it is the time to realize that someone has stolen our tent, our covering, the covering that God gave us back in the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, where God says in chapter 9, verse 9, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you. A covenant, friends, that is universal, that is unconditional, that is everlasting. A covenant, friends, which is a solemn agreement between us and God. A covenant, friends, that told us that he would never destroy us again. And then, and then we had a covenant of grace. The blood of Jesus became our covering. Yes, the blood that was shed at Calvary became our covering. And as long as we walk in the ways of the Lord in our lives, that covering will stay intact. But friends, sometimes we wander. So this morning, let's forget about trying to analyse the problems. Let's forget about the self-improvement classes and everything else that we take on in our, in our busy lives. Let's rebuild that covering on our lives. Let's rebuild that covering on this church. Let's press in on Jesus with prayer and more prayer and more prayer and maybe a bit of, uh, a bit of fasting. I love the story of the captain of this ship. Let's get a drink. That was in this really bad storm. He realised that the ship was sinking fast. So he called out, anybody here know how to pray? One man stepped forward, I know how to pray, sir. Good, said the captain, you pray. While the rest of us put on life jackets with one short. <laughs> the disciples came to Jesus. And you can read this story, it's not up there. We can read this story, it's in Matthew chapter 17, verses 9 and 20. By the way, I'm going to give you now the Steve Haslam translation. 
<laughs> they said this. We're having a few problems, boss. We don't understand what's happening here. We tried to cast the devil out of this boy. And Jesus, we did it just like you. We used the same tone of voice, just like you. We, we held our hands in the right way, just like you. We said the same things you said, just like you. In fact, we look pretty good, if you don't mind me saying, boss. But nothing happened. Why? And Jesus says to them, how many hours have you spent in prayer? How many days have you spent fasting? And I want to tell you this morning, friends, we can analyze, analyze, and analyze this situation and other stuff in our church life from now until the cows come home. But I can tell you now that nothing happens except by pressing in on Jesus with prayer and more prayer and more prayer and maybe a bit of fasting too. Friends, it's time to rebuild that covering of prayer and fasting in our lives. You know, it's an insult to God when we try to solve the problems we see through our own abilities. Isaiah 30 verse 1 says this, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel but not of me, and who devise plans but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Did you know that when we try to rid the church of sin through our own abilities, through our own efforts, through our own knowledge, we add to that sin? If the tent is gone, if the covering has been stolen, then it's the time to rebuild it by pressing in on Jesus with prayer and I'm not frightened to say this, with prayer and more prayer and more prayer and maybe a bit of a fasting too. Now, I've been guilty in the past, as we all have been, of looking up and seeing stars that we shouldn't see and then trying to fix it on our own, in our own strength. Well, I've made a promise to myself that from now on, I'm not going to try and figure out these things on my own. In future, when I look up and see the stars, I'm going to start rebuilding, rebuilding that covering over the spirit of our, over our lives and over this church by pressing in on Jesus with prayer and more prayer and more prayer and a bit of fasting too. So when I look out and I see carnality, Carnality, by the way, is to have the nature and the, and the characteristics of the flesh. Another word is worldliness. When I look out and I see carnality, we're not going to start a, teaching a 12-week 12 12 seminar on spirituality. No. We're going to remind this church to come to a time of prayer and fasting. When Israel fell into carnality. The prophet Joel, he gave them the remedy. He, he gave them the answer in his book. Joel 1 verse 14 says this, Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Grab the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. 
If our covering of spirituality has been stolen, let's rebuild it by pressing in on Jesus with prayer and more prayer and more prayer and maybe a bit of fasting too. Friends, from the pulpit to the pew, it's time to fall on our knees and rebuild this spiritual covering over this church. It's not the time to seek other people's remedies and theories. It's not the time to look deep into our commentaries to find out what causes carnality. But it is the time to rebuild that covering over this church. And we do that, friends, by pressing in on Jesus with prayer and more prayer and more prayer and maybe a bit of fasting too. When I look out and I see complacency, we're not going to resort to teaching lessons and seminars on how to evangelize our community. If we don't have the desire to share our faith, we can teach a million seminars and nothing is going to happen. What we're going to do is to call us all into a place of prayer and fasting until that fire is burning in us again so that no one has to tell us not to go out and be a witness. They won't be able to stop us. It reminds me of the story, and I've said this one before, of a big fire in this chemical plant in America. Ten fire companies were called out to put the fire out, but it was too intense. So all they could do was keep a safe distance and spray the edges of the fire. The owner who was stood at the side was watching, literally watching his money go up in smoke. So he decided to do something about it. So he offered to donate $250,000 to the fire company that put the fire out. Well, from way in the distance, another fire trucks arrive. And it drove straight down the hill, straight past all the other fire trucks, not even slowing down. And it drove right into the center of the fire. The men dived off the truck and began frantically fighting the fire like a load of madmen. After a tense hour, they succeeded and they put the fire out. The happy owner congratulated them and writing the check, he asked them what was the first thing they were going to spend the money on. One of the men said, well, first, we're going to fix the brakes. <laughs> Friends, this morning, I want us to be like the disciples in the book of Acts. Passionate about prayer. They came charging through like that fire engine with no brakes on, looking for the hottest part of the presence of God. They didn't want the edges. They didn't want to stay at a safe distance. They, what they wanted was the God of the Holy of, the Holy of Holies. What they wanted was the God that was right in the center. Is that us today? Have we got that fire in our bellies when we pray? Do you know what? I love the book of Acts for that. For the passion that they had. For the way they changed their world. 
Do you know something? They didn't have any growth, church growth seminars. They didn't have general conferences. But what they did have was a whole lot of passion and a whole lot of praying. Acts 4 verse 31 says this, And then they prayed, and the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Friends, the place was shaken. Can you imagine coming here in our prayer times and the place shaking? That's what we've got to look forward to. They spoke with boldness. The boldness here means outspokenness. It means unreserved utterance. It means speech with frankness, candor, cheerfulness and courage. And that is what we want. Acts 6 verse 6 says, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Acts 8 verse 15 said, who they might come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Acts 9 verse 40 says, but Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. Acts 16 verse 25, but at midnight Paul and Silas, what were they doing? They were praying and singing praises to God. And the prisoners were all listening. No one had to beg the apostles to go out and share this wonderful gospel. He couldn't stop them. They suffered great persecution, friends. But they kept praying and winning souls. They kept praying and winning souls. So this morning, we're not going to try and tell you how to go out and witness... We're just going to press in on Jesus. And we're going to pray and fast until we are so consumed with that fire again in our bellies that we become like Jeremiah. And the fire that consumed him when he said, I tried but I just couldn't keep my mouth shut. When I look out and I see a lack of holiness, we're not going to call a church assembly or an AGM and then issue a new set of rules and regulations? No, we are going to press in on Jesus and then pray and fast until we become so consumed with desire, a desire to serve the, the God in the beauty of holiness, that nothing, and I mean nothing, is too great a price to pay. Because, friends, let me tell you now, our departure from holiness always indicates a heart problem to me. Whenever Israel began to backslide, the first thing they did, they began to dress like the heathen nations. They began to worship like the heathen nations. They began to blend in like the heathen nations. Friends, when we lose our covering of holiness, we open ourselves up to all kinds of of false doctrines. We open ourselves up to a loss of anointing and we open ourselves to looking like the world, acting like the world and speaking like the world. And do you know what? People will see no difference in us. Zechariah 2 verses 1 to 5 says this, Then I raised my eyes and looked and behold a man with a measuring line in his hand So I said, where are you going? 
And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And there was an angel who talked with me going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him, who said to him, run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited in a town without walls because of the multitudes of men and livestock in it. And this is the key verse for me. For I, says the Lord, will be a fire, a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Friends, God's glory is not on the borders of a city. God's glory is not on the edge. It's right in the middle. It's right in the center. And God's blessing on us comes, friends, when we sacrifice and don't try to get by with the least amount of effort. God's blessing on us comes when we stop trying to sort stuff out by ourselves and instead bring it straight to God. God's blessing on us comes when we forget about where the borders are and where we jump right into the middle, right into the center of God's presence. So today, do you feel like a bit of worldliness, a bit of carnality has crept into our walk, our life, our journey? Well, prayer and fasting will put us back on track. Today, do we feel that Holiness is, in our lives, has taken a bit of a back seat. Well, today, prayer and fasting will put us back on track. Today, do you feel that someone has stolen our tent, our covering? Well, the good news is this, is we can rebuild it. So let's bring God back into our decisions again. I wonder whether the group would come back. Cheers, guys. I want to finish this morning by saying that prayer is not a passive act on our part. Prayer is an aggressive, active, effective, achieving ministry. It's literally the engine room of this church. And what we are doing when we pray is we are putting our shoulders to the wheel and we are moving the forces of heaven. One man described his prayer by saying this, when I pray, I push. When anything or anything goes wrong, I push. When the job lets me down, I push. When people upset me, I push. When I feel ill and don't, and don't feel up for it, I push. When I pray for my family and my friends, I push. When I pray for my church, I push. Push stands for pray until something happens. So in our prayers, don't just pray once or twice. Pray your prayers again and again and again. Push your prayers and empower the angels of God and unleash that power of heaven on our lives the last thing I'm going to say is this I've been looking at the exploits of the great 19th century missionaries into Africa people like David Livingston William Carey Hudson Taylor 
And I was reading about some of their exploits and some of the tribes that they met. In one region of Africa, the first converts to Christianity were very diligent about praying. In fact, they took prayer on board in such a major way. These new believers each had their own special place to pray outside of the village where they lived. Then the villagers reached this prayer point by using their own private footpaths through the bush. Footpaths which became worn out by constant use because they prayed so much. So when the grass began to grow over one of these trails, it was evident that that person to whom this path belonged was not praying very much. And because these new Christians were so concerned about each other's spiritual warfare, a unique custom sprang up. Whenever anyone noticed an overgrown prayer path, he or she would go to that person and lovingly say, Friend, there's grass on your path. And I'm asking you this morning, I'm lovingly asking you this morning, is there grass on your path? You see, this morning, I'm challenging this church, the body here, about the importance of prayer. Prayer in our lives, prayer in our work, prayer in our church. Josh Green spoke about it last week and today I'm following suit because let's be honest, you can't have too much prayer. And I want to just finish now by quoting D.L. Moody, the 19th century evangelist, publisher and preacher. And he said this, and I'm going to finish on this, that every great movement of God in the lives of people can be traced back to a kneeling figure. Is that you this morning? Bless you all.